0: Chapter sixteen of Doxy Dent by John Ackworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An alarming letter. But the clogger's fit of resignation proved very temporary. Before he had been back in the shop an hour, he was talking in the old pugnacious way to Sam and threatening all sorts of pains and penalties to any young scupperill he might happen to catch sniffing about here. Whilst later on in the evening, when Long Ben came to the shop, he commenced a running fire of vague and oblique references to the furredness of young fellies, and the wonderful ways in which the peculiar infirmities of fathers reappeared in the children. For the next few days, also, Jabe kept a sharp lookout for possible poochers, and even in a roundabout, non-committal way, tried to enlist the services of Sam in the same pursuit. Nothing occurred, however, until the following Sunday, which happened to be wet. Jabe had dismissed the school, and was returning home with Lige and Nathan, when just as he came out of the chapel gate, he pulled up with a start, and then, without a word to his friends, set off as fast as his unequal legs could carry him down the brew. The two friends could see no possible reason for his sudden departure, but Sam Speck was a little on in front of them and when the clogger passed him, he pulled up to watch him, and then, turning round, jerked his thumb in the direction Jabe was going, and seemed inwardly convulsed with something that was tickling him immensely. Then Lige and Nathan saw what was the matter. The clogger was rapidly approaching a couple of teachers who were going down the brew under one umbrella, and it only required a second glance to discover that the two were Doxy and Young Ben, meanwhile just as the clogger got up to them they stopped opposite the clog shop and after exchanging a few words parted Doxy nodding and smiling as she left her cavalier with a womanly dread of water on her clothes jabe's niece made a dart for the house and did not notice her uncle and ben had got several yards farther down the hill when he heard a gruff voice exclaiming eh hey, young felly want oh, THE YOUNG CARPENTER PULLED UP AND FACED ABOUT, AND WHEN HE CAUGHT SIGHT OF JABES' RED AGGRESSIVE FACE, HE BLUSHED. Oh, "'I want to know,' demanded the clogger, pulling suddenly up and balancing himself on the toe-point of his best leg. Oh, "'I want to know what this sewer to Gallivantin work means,' and he jerked his thumb over his shoulder in the direction in which Doxy had disappeared. Ben did not comprehend all at once. But as it dawned upon him, he stammered. "'That? Nowt? thou were not but keepin three enougha.' "'Oh, that would keep it three enougha, uh. oh, wereter!' Enough, uh, cried Jabe with a sardonic laugh, and then, with his very fiercest scowl, he shook his pudgy finger and went on. "'Ah, look here, young chap! I'll keep three enough that wench, and son too, and thee too!' sitch like spoonified diddle-daddlers he go and grow the wisdom teeth and leave that wench to me and with a final flirt of his finger at the blushing and terrified youth jabe turned haughtily round and limped off home when he got indoors however his pride had a sudden fall for doxy having hurried upstairs to remove her damp clothes came to the front bedroom window just as her uncle was delivering the last part of his philippic to Ben, and comprehending the situation at a glance, she came down upon her defender somewhat severely. The argument waxed hot for a moment or two, but when Jabe discovered how openly and frankly sympathetic Doxy was towards Ben, he naturally concluded that she would not have shown it so much if her affections had been in any way involved. And so, He took his scolding meekly, and comforted himself with the reflection that he had effectually scotched the affair. But it never rains but it pours, and almost before our old friend had got over one trouble, he was plunged into another, and even more serious one. On the following Thursday morning, the post brought Doxy a letter with a now familiar foreign postmark, and almost before Dan had returned from delivering it to her in the parlour, she came flying into the shop, in a state of the wildest excitement. "'Oh, uncle! Uncle! We are going! We are going! Father has sent word! We are to go to Australia! Oh, isn't it grand? Isn't—' And then she stopped abruptly, for the poor old clogger's face had all at once gone as white as a sheet.' the look of delight on DOXY'S countenance changed instantly to one of almost terror to be succeeded by a shower of warm tears and like the girl she still was in spite of her twenty summers she burst into a little cry caught her uncle round the head and kissing the ball top of it again and again cried "ain't you must go too uncle you must go too" before the clogger could answer however she'd remembered herself And bursting away she flew off down to the cottage and brought back her mother and her aunt and they all adjourned to the parlour to read the letter at length and hold the family council yes there the summons was in all its bare reality dox's father sent word that he had recently bought from a man who had made his pile a store and all its contents in the mining village where he was located and that As they could now be of much service to him and he was dying for a sight of them, they must prepare to go out at once and he would send the money by the next mail. The place was a very rough one, but he hoped they would soon make their fortune and in the meantime he would be able to take care of them. Again and again the letter was read, and when at last its full significance had been realised, those to whom it meant so much received it with very different feelings doxy's mother was in the seventh heaven of delight aunt judy looked sad and presently began to cry and though jabe frowned upon her sternly once or twice and demanded what she was maithering at he hovered very near to tears himself and eyed doxy over again and again with a hungry almost savage look as to doxy her feelings were evidently of a mixed kind and fluctuated and veered round with every little turn of the conversation. When they talked about Australia and her father, she was full of eagerness and joy, but the moment anyone touched ever so distantly upon the thought of parting, her lip quivered, and she glanced uneasily at her uncle, and then looked with swimming eyes through the window. That was a dark day for the clogger. He could neither work nor eat, nor even think connectedly, his old friends and comforters did not come to the cloggery as soon or as fast as he wanted them, and so he wandered about from one place to another, seeking sympathy and advice. That night at the fire, he was the centre of a silent and moody group, for the average Lancashire man has no means of uttering his deepest emotions, and feels as if to speak of them were to minimise them. But the clogger's feelings may be guessed by the fact as he went upstairs to bed that night, he stopped for a moment at his niece's bedroom door, and after gazing at it in the dim candlelight, he turned sadly away, and muttered in a quivering, choking voice, "'That reet wench, bless thee! "'Oh, believe, or shall I to go? "'How does I am?' Whilst her uncle was thus expressing himself on the outside of that little black bedroom door, Doxy lay tossing about, vainly endeavouring to get to sleep. With the keen interest of young life, she pictured to herself the scenes through which she would pass on her way to the distant land that was soon to be her home, and sleep went farther and farther away. Then she tried to imagine to herself what her life would be in the new and wonderful country where she was to dwell. Then suddenly there would come back to her the old clog shop, and her lonely housekeeperless uncle, and that was so sad a thing to think of that she tried to shut it out of her mind, but without success. Again and again she wandered in her thoughts from one aspect of the case to the other, until presently she began to realise that, alluring and delightful though the prospect of travel was, there was something within her that clung to the old haunts of her life, and that something was not, or at least was not entirely, her love for her uncle she would not allow the thing to take definite shape in her mind the moment it seemed to grow clear before her she felt herself blushing and resolutely turned away from it and yet it came again and again and she could only bury her face in the pillows and try to think of something else she was not an introspective young lady and this shadowy shape seemed quite a stranger to her nevertheless it was there and all her efforts to ignore it only seemed to bring it more definitely to her mind. She escaped it at last by trying to think of all the things she would say to her uncle to induce him to go with her, until suddenly she became aware of the fact that her hope that he would join the party was not very honest, and in fact that her wish to go was rapidly becoming a question of duty rather than of desire. Presently, however, she dozed off into fitful slumbers, and dreamed of a wonderful wedding in which somebody, not herself, was being married to a strange man with her uncle's stooping body and expressive limp, but with Andrew Barber's face. Somehow the prospect did not look quite so woeful to the clogger when he got up next morning. The money had not actually been sent yet, and many things might happen before the day of actual parting came. Besides, Dox's father had always been sanguine and whimsical. The message was possibly only a characteristic bit of his usual pants, and even though he had intended it when he wrote, there was time for a man of his captious and impetuous temperament to change, especially when it came to having to send over so large a sum for the double passage. He would stick there if nowhere else, Jabe argued, as he always had done. For Thomas was always behind when it came to questions of cash. Another day, therefore, he spent debating the matter with his friends, and they were all so very sorry for him that they strove chiefly to find out what he would like them to say, in order that they might say it and so bring comfort to the old man's heart. Sam Speck, however, was possessed of an idea; it only came to him slowly and required much meditation and the consumption of reckless quantities of tobacco. But it did actually grow as he turned it over, and by the forenoon of the next day it had taken definite and final shape. He was immensely pleased with it, for he had worked it out entirely unassisted, and if carried out it would not only bring relief to the mind of his much-tried friend, but lift Sam himself to a very pinnacle of glory and give him an inexhaustible claim on the clogger's gratitude well I can do as there's a mind and say what there's a mind but if you were out to me who shouldna goo a yard sam delivered himself of this defiant sentence with the air of a man who was talking more to sustain conversation than with any definite purpose in view and his face wore a look of studious but much overdone indifference Jabe raised his head to rap out one of his most stinging retorts, for as a matter of fact, he had said nothing for nearly an hour on the subject mentioned by his friend, so that his assumption of this particular form of remark was more than usually irritating. But a drowning man catches at straws, and the clogger was so anxious to hear any suggestion which might be helpful, that he checked himself, and merely demanded, yeah, I can not help it, Monty mun do as a fair that tells a munner to and sam settled himself more comfortably in the inglenook corner and answered lazily some women na jabe looked at his companion in amazed perplexity it was quite evident there was something behind sam's words but he could not for the life of him see what what dun they do then he demanded eyeing him over expectantly and sam still hugging his great idea replied in his most exasperating manner, Oh, lots of things. Jabe was on tenterhooks. What could this provoking man, whom he must not offend at this moment, mean? He stared at him with rapidly blinking eyes for quite a long time, during which Sam smoked blandly on. At last, however, he could bear it no longer. Ah, then, that's getting summity that berm you'd thine. That's Sam seemed to take a most aggravating time to collect his thoughts, but at length, staring right before him and speaking with tantalizing slowness, he said, "Well, if that wench had a husband I England, who'd ne'er think o' going to Australia?" And then, after another pause, "And who met a-head one of four now, but for thee?" End of Chapter Sixteen.